It's basically impossible to imagine Han Solo without Chewbacca. And for me now, it's hard to think about collecting Star Wars figures without the organic community that grew out of an immersive, life-changing moment in time that we long to recapture. For some of us, it's finding the figures we had as children and teenagers. For others, it's stepping around the curtain to get an historical perspective on how the things we love came to be. How sketches and photographs magically morphed into clay and wax sculpts, eventually becoming the plastic icons we know as intimately as we remember the bedrooms and neighborhoods of our childhoods. This is what led us here, what pushed us to find each other, and ultimately what keeps collecting worthwhile. This is the magic of collecting. This is the heart of a community. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. to the third episode of a four-part early bird series leading up to the launch of the Star Wars monthly podcast on prototype collecting. So far, we've looked at a childhood of Star Wars and the Kenner toys we played with in Life with Luke. Then, in the last episode, I talked about the shift from playing with toys to collecting them in A Princess and a Purpose. And now, in this episode titled Chewbacca, Collecting, and Community... I'll take a look at how collecting becomes a true hobby and the blessings of being a part of the collecting family. The year is 2011. I'm working for a big media company, and for the first time in my life, I have expendable income. I don't have a lot of money, but I've been saving for the past few years. I have no outstanding bills or debts, and while I deeply love all things music-related, the collecting bug finds me again. And in a moment of belated curiosity... One night, I explore eBay. I am a latecomer to eBay, way late. My life would have been completely different if I had found eBay when most people did, in the early 2000s. But as I explained in the previous episode, I stopped collecting all things Star Wars around the 2002 film Attack of the Clones. My disappointment from the film was what pulled me out of collecting anything for almost a decade. And I have no idea why, but as someone who has always collected something since I can remember... Those little plastic clips that you'd find on shirts and jeans from clothing stores, baseball, basketball, and garbage pail kid cards, various action collector figure lines, comics, Disney memorabilia, albums, recordings of live shows and concerts. I just, I never explored eBay. And for me, at times, there will exist this, this kind of abyss, this foreign expanse between me and an idea or a direction. And sometimes it takes years to cross that chasm. But when I do reach the other side, I take off running. 
So when I finally joined the rest of America and created an eBay account, it was like opening a door to everything I've ever loved and to anything I could think of or imagine collecting. I would type in a band or a toy or even just a theme, and not only would items that I remembered appear, but items I'd never seen before or never even knew existed. I was a huge fan of the band Pearl Jam, and to type in the band's name and see a treasure trove of autographed albums, their ultra-rare first recording, tour shirts and posters that, that had long since vanished. It was astounding. It was addictive. And so, for a number of nights, before I went to sleep, I would explore. However, the moment I typed in Star Wars, that feeling of purpose that I spoke about in the last two podcasts clicked again. I liken it to going into a car dealership and test driving a few cars, all the while knowing deep down which one you're going to drive off the lot. And once you are seated in that special car and the keys are in your hand, you you drive off and you never look back. And while the decision to begin collecting Star Wars again would seem to be a pretty quick one, I put quite a bit of thought into it to make sure, well, frankly, that I could collect Star Wars figures. On my bus rides coming home from work, I remember making a plan to commit to collecting. After all, I had seen some of the prices. Star Wars vintage figures weren't cheap by any means. I mean, a double telescoping Luke was around $200 at that time. For a loose Luke figure. But I looked at my venture as an investment. Because I didn't have a lot of money, I couldn't afford to lose money by buying them and bringing them into my house. Whatever I collected had to retain its value. Logically and reasonably, if the items I went after held a steady price, or even rose in value, then if I had to sell them, if I lost my job or just lost interest, I could get my money back. So I looked at the thought of collecting more as borrowing, until I figured out just what this collecting thing looked like in my life. It was the only way that I could justify the expense. In order to make sure I was choosing a sound direction to spend my time and my money, I created three qualifications. By these three tenets, I figured whatever I collected, and in this case, specifically vintage Star Wars figures, would be less likely to lose value, and I would never feel financially stressed or squeezed about collecting what I loved. Here are the three qualifications I used. A strong emotional connection, a finite supply, and a continued relevance. So going deeper, here are the three in more detail. Number one, a strong emotional connection. Is there a strong emotional connection? The answer is yes. What other films make grown men and women teary-eyed or excited when they talk about them? Even decades later, there are very few franchises, let alone things in life that can do that. Number two, a finite supply. Is there a finite supply? Easy answer, yes. Going through the early modern collecting years, we were victims of paying an inflated price for a figure that was thought to be rare, only to see it pumped out onto toy store shelves a few months later. Plus, during the prequels of the 90s and early aughts, Hasbro flooded toy stores with movie figures and toys, killing the collecting market. With the vintage Star Wars figures, whatever was out there in the world already, that was it. At this point in time, it had been 26 years since the last of the Kenner Star Wars figures were run off the assembly line. I certainly did not have to worry about a fresh supply of vintage Star Wars figures flooding the market. And number three, relevance. Is it still relevant? (laughs) Definitely. 
While lines like He-Man were without modern films and were slowly waning in interest, Star Wars had just wrapped up another trilogy only a few years before, and the Clone Wars animated series was currently running at the time. There were talks of bringing the original movies back into theaters for 3D events, and it seemed people were definitely still hungry for Star Wars. For context, this was almost two years before Disney bought Lucasfilm, and about five years before we met Poe, Finn, Kylo, and Rey. But between the cartoons, the older films, the books and comics, and the conventions, Star Wars was still relevant and loved all over the world. So with what seemed like a clear and solid path, I began collecting. Star Wars made sense for many reasons. I had very limited space, but the carded figures were so compact that even if I went beyond loose figure collecting, I would be able to amass a decent-sized collection without becoming overwhelmed or running out of room. I realized quickly that before I spent a dime, I needed to spend time. I had no idea what the value of items were worth, and again, I I didn't want to make the mistake of overspending, because I simply could not afford to. To learn prices, I did two things. I followed the sales of specific figures on eBay, and would make spreadsheets of what each figure had sold for over a number of months. And when I had an understanding of the price range for a figure, then I would try to buy below that range, believing I was getting a good value. I also went to Barnes & Noble and picked up a book that was essentially a price guide on all Star Wars collectibles, not just the toys. But the 9 or 10 pages that focused on the carded figures in the Kenner line, they made the book one of the most important purchases I made early on. By 2011, the book was already an outdated price guide by a few years, but I used it to get a relative sense of pricing. It showed me which figures were more valuable and which ones were more common. And after a few months, I was able to build up a solid knowledge base of the current prices using eBay. Educational resources were scarce, though, until I found the Star Wars Collector's Archive website. For reference, the address for the site is theswca.com. T-H-E-S-W-C-A dot com. I wasn't savvy enough to join any of the Rebel Scum Vintage Collecting Forums, which was where most of the collectors were hanging out and discussing the vintage Star Wars toys, but I lurked on them in order to learn. And again, though, there was that abyss that I spoke of earlier, and I just didn't know how to connect. I didn't feel like I had anything to offer yet, and the forums appeared to be so established that I felt like I was peering through a gate. I know now that this was mostly in my mind, but at the same time, I felt like an outsider, so I stuck to learning as much as I could, so I could one day connect with other collectors and possibly give back. But getting back to the Star Wars Collector's Archive, it was a resource started by super collector Gus Lopez as a database of all things Star Wars. And for me, it was a revelation. Again, you could find the site at the SWCA.com, and it is an essential resource for all collectors. Every night, I would scour through the site, allowing myself to read a handful of pages and to absorb as much knowledge as I could before falling asleep. And while I was familiar with a lot of the Kenner line, it was the minutiae that I found fascinating. And I look back on that time of learning and exploring as something immensely special. If you've never visited the SWCA, or if you're new to the hobby, check it out tonight before you go to sleep. 
Just pick two or three pages that seem really interesting to you, and I guarantee you'll come away with some incredible information on collecting Star Wars. Before I even started collecting, though, I had a list of some of the figures I wanted to buy, and they were the Power of the Force figures, ones I didn't even know existed when I was a child. So now I was determined to one day buy a Luke Stormtrooper, a Han and Carbonite, and a Tatooine Skiff. But to me, they were the big purchases, and I wasn't even close to spending that kind of money. I made a decision early on that I didn't want to waste money on common figures. As I mentioned in the last podcast, I still owned all of my childhood figures, so my concern was to fill in the gaps. I also wanted to stretch out the idea of collecting and really take my time. I didn't want to rush out and pick up whatever was in front of me, regardless of condition or price. After all, a lot of the joy is in the hunt, so I had set a standard for myself that I would try to pick up the nicest quality examples I could, which I'm happy to say I stuck to, and that I would only buy one of each, which I am very happy to say I ignored. But the decision to be selective in choosing the right pieces to buy helped to teach me to be patient and to wait for the right piece to come along. Like any hobby in which collecting is the central aspect, authenticity was a problem. As I mentioned in the last episode, my first big purchase as an 11 or 12-year-old collector was one that made me feel somewhat cheated, and I went back into collecting this time a bit more weary. As I did more research, I read posts and articles about reproductions, fakes, touched-up cardbacks, and re-glued bubbles, and I was determined to educate myself as much as possible to avoid those pitfalls. And since I already owned a carded Darth Vader, I examined that piece as thoroughly as possible and compared it against eBay photos of items I was considering buying in order to get a better understanding of what to look for and how cardbacks and bubbles appeared in certain lighting. I would scan through tens of pages of eBay listings each day when I would come home from work, and I just absolutely loved it. As I felt more comfortable on eBay, I began to purchase some loose figures. I don't remember the full timeline, but I think I moved on to carded figures pretty quickly, in tandem with continuing to purchase some of the loose Power of the Force figures from 1984 and 1985. And one of my earlier eBay purchases was a loose, complete Power of the Force R2-D2 with a pop-up lightsaber for $39. And one of the first carded figures I purchased was my all-time favorite figure, a 65 back Return of the Jedi Luke Jedi. It was about as mint as you could get, and I only paid $80 for it. It was around that time that I discovered AFA. In case you're not familiar with AFA, it stands for Action Figure Authority, and it is a company that grades toys based on their condition and preserves them by sealing them in acrylic cases. If you're familiar with how sports cards or comic books are graded, it's a similar process for toys. Seeing a carded figure in a pristine sealed case that, dis- that appeared display-worthy and having it not only authenticated, but where each part of the carded figure, the bubble, the, cr- the card, and the figure itself was given a grade based on its condition. Just made sense to me. I purchased my first AFA-graded carded figure, a, a Lando Skiffguard, graded at an overall 80 with a yellow bubble, and I just fell in love with the way it looked, the way it stood protected on my dresser, and I, honestly, I've kept it there ever since. And pretty quickly, I decided that I would start to grade some pieces on my own. 
Now, I know this is a very divisive topic among collectors, and I totally understand many of the sides of the arguments for and against grading. When I started, I wasn't part of a community. I honestly didn't even realize that a lot of other people collected all over the world. And I'm not saying the way I collect is the right way or the only way, but it's just how I got here and why I do what I do. But when it came to grading, I did not want to pay what appeared to be a premium for a figure that was already graded. So to add to the challenges I placed before myself, one of my new goals was to buy really nice carded examples ungraded for much lower prices. And then, even if I decided to grade them, my cost would hopefully be much less than if I had splurged on high-grade pieces, but with the same end results. As I looked beyond eBay, I found out there were many more toy shows around where I lived than I could have imagined. Jay, one of my closest friends from junior high school and I, went to a monthly show the first Sunday of every month at a firehouse in Wayne, New Jersey. It's called the Wayne Toy Show. And it's a strange feeling, but I can remember the immense excitement I had in going to some of the early shows. Sometimes I wouldn't be able to sleep the night before. I was just really excited for the hunt, and I had no idea what I would find. And when I would arrive at a show... I would become so overwhelmed with excitement and would barely be able to have a conversation as I would look around. I started to develop a hyper-focus for the first 20 or so minutes I would be there, starting at the beginning of the room and quickly scanning each table as I methodically walked up and down each row. And once I went through everything, I would then find myself taking a deep breath, relaxing and strolling through for a second round. It's still the way I do toy shows today. And once you've operated in this manner, you'll notice other collectors who do the same thing. A simple hi is fine as you pass one another, but it's best to catch up with your friends after they've gone through all of the tables at least once. It was during these second, third, and fourth rounds that I would introduce myself to vendors and collectors, hoping to find others who shared a similar love for Kenner Star Wars toys. But I spent the majority of time collecting on an island, without a true community. Sure, I made friends at these shows, but a lot of the relationships seemed to remain within the walls of those buildings. Collecting just seemed to be something you did as a hobby by yourself, kind of like gardening. Beyond the toy shows I went to, it just didn't seem like something that a group could ever be involved in. Jay lost interest in toy collecting, and I began traveling to shows on my own. I would drive up to Wayne once a month, and would spend hours talking, laughing, and learning. But with the exception of some random shows scattered throughout the calendar, most of the collecting moments I experienced were solitary. And while it was solitary for a long period of time, there were some really cool moments that I think many of us have experienced as we were building up our collections. Like picking up that first real value buy, either at a show or on an auction site like eBay, 
one in which the seller priced it really low, or, or one where no one else was watching the auction, and what you purchase is maybe something you never thought you'd get, especially at the price it's sold for. I think many of us have also read about or have seen a special variant of a carded or loose figure, and then searched through our collections, only to find that, oh my gosh, we own that same variant. Or what about the first time you buy or win a big-ticket item? Now, big-ticket can mean something different to everyone. $100 for a toy may be really extreme for some. For others, $10,000 may be that sweat-inducing point. But regardless of the price range, the feeling is usually the same. Exhilaration coupled with stomach-tightening panic. And the first time you see your wallet or bank account shrink a bit due to a purchase can be somewhat overwhelming. But to get that figure you've been hunting for a while, whether it's a double telescoping Luke, that, that first carded 12-back Star Wars figure, or that elusive droids carded Boba Fett, it's terribly exciting. A moment like that takes both your collecting and spending limits to its next level. In the last Early Bird podcast, I talked about seeing the Luke Stormtrooper for the first time, about seven years after Kenner ended production of the Star Wars toys. As a child, I wasn't aware of its existence. I thought the line ended after Return of the Jedi. But upon seeing the Luke Stormtrooper at a show in the early 1990s, I promised myself I would one day buy one, but I wanted it to be the right one. In 2012, a carded Luke Stormtrooper owned by a former Kenner employee appeared at an auction on eBay. It was the nicest one I had ever seen, and I decided I was all in on it. As the auction was nearing its end, I put in the highest dollar amount that I could reasonably afford at the time, which was at least four times what I had previously spent on a Star Wars item. And there's always that second after the auction ends, where the screen flashes to white as it loads, and you wait for what seems like an hour to see if you won or not. And it was during this load time in which I realized how badly I wanted this Luke Stormtrooper, and how much it meant to me. The price was more money than I could fathom spending at the time for a toy, regardless of what it was. But it was Luke. It was the figure I had never had growing up. The one I had wanted when I first saw it 20 years earlier. Still loading. It was pristine, it was perfect, and it had even more meaning than any other Luke Stormtrooper because it came from someone who had worked at the company during its creation. Still loading. Someone who worked at Kenner thought enough to keep it protected all these years, and to keep it in the same condition as it was when it came off the assembly line at the factory. Still loading. It was Luke. Still loading. It was really, really important to me. Still loading. It was Luke, and it meant more than I could possibly put into words. Loading finished. And it was mine. I wish I could remember my reaction. I I probably ran around the house from room to room, just out of sheer joy. And for the next few days, the realization that I had paid nearly $500 ate at me. I always get a little uncomfortable when I spend a lot of money on something. But once that carded Luke Stormtrooper arrived... The fact that something I had hoped to one day get all those years ago was finally mine was one of the greatest feelings, and I've never had any regrets. I was finally able to fulfill a promise to my 12-year-old self. And to me, that purchase was a leveling up of sorts for collecting. 
Because of my love for that Luke Stormtrooper piece, my price range of what I felt comfortable spending increased, and I knew I was going to be collecting Star Wars figures for a long time. I could then justify targeting rarer and bigger ticket items in the future. This is a natural progression, and I would think most of us have experienced this. It makes perfect sense to start slow, and then once you become more knowledgeable and have an understanding of what you want, you aim for more of the figures on your wish list. And as I've personally witnessed numerous times over the years, if you wait long enough, the right item in the condition you're looking for, and for a more reasonable price, will show up. And you know you better than anyone else does. Always go with your gut, provided your gut has done its research first. But when you're at a show or a convention, and you see that Star Wars toy you've wanted forever, and your stomach tightens and you just know it's the one, don't hesitate to pick it up. For the next few years, I had a blast collecting Star Wars figures. I never went a day without checking eBay, and something I still do to this very day. But waking up each morning, the first thought I had was, I wonder what I'm going to find today. And I was happy to know that that kind of excitement, which had followed me throughout my childhood, was still a part of me. I would make top 10 lists in my head at night as I fell asleep, figuring out which loose figures I needed, or which figures on specific card backs I should hunt for. And other than loving all the vintage Luke Skywalker figures, I really didn't have a focus. I collected what I liked, which in this case was everything Kenner produced, since I loved the entire line. I looked at each piece I picked up as a blessing. I remember searching eBay one day and seeing a seller who had put about 40 carded Star Wars figures up at auction, each one ending a short time after the one before it. But the majority of them ended between 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. So I set my alarm to wake me up before the sun came up so I would have a chance to win them. And I remember hopping out of bed at various points in the night just to see if the prices had changed on them. And then there are the times in which auctions were ending as I was driving. I've pulled over into so many parking lots and on the sides of roads throughout the entire tri-state area, each time with the hope that my bid would be the, the winning one, and that my phone signal would be strong enough to push my bid through. These are little moments, but they were just so much fun. And all of this came at the perfect time. When Disney announced its intent to purchase Star Wars Lucasfilm, the hobby became really exciting. People who grew up with these toys found their way back to them again, and started coming out to toy shows in the hopes of recapturing the energy and magic that Star Wars brought with it. The promise of another trilogy that would continue the Skywalker story had people talking about Star Wars in everyday conversations, too. The hobby that you and I love wasn't disappearing or dying. It was waking up. And yet... Among the genuine enthusiasm and love I felt for Star Wars, something really strange happened. By 2016, after years of collecting mostly on my own, I hit a crossroads. The excitement to hunt for items and to learn about them was still there, but I was feeling a strong disconnect that had been growing inside me over the past year. The Star Wars podcasts to which I listened to on a weekly or even daily basis were creating in me a longing. 
not for the figures or items they discussed in each episode, but in the way the hobby was an experience shared among friends. I wanted what the people I had listened to for years had. The deep friendships, the long conversations about the minutiae that we collectors thrive on, the unforgettable moments at collectors' homes and, and at conventions and meetups, the in-jokes, the memories. My passion for Star Wars and for collecting didn't weaken, but the realization that I was missing a key aspect of the hobby frustrated me. In a different but fitting analogy, I didn't want to watch cooking shows about food any longer. I wanted to make meals with friends and dine together. And deep down, that's what we all really want. To find others who share a passion for the same things we hold dear. Those who get us. Who see these pieces of, of plastic and cardboard as more than just toys. But at that point, listening to the latest episode as I was driving to the next toy show, I realized that I had felt like I was staring out at a vibrant world from behind a gate, unsure of how to get to the other side. And then, slowly, things began to change. I met more and more people at the toy shows, and I was seeing them more frequently, and we started spending time together outside of the shows. And I would meet their friends, and they would meet mine, and the small circle of collecting began to grow. Although my friend Jay no longer collected Star Wars toys, he pushed me to join Facebook. I had largely stayed away from social media up to that point, being a more private person. But Jay had explained that a lot of the collecting groups had migrated from the online forums to Facebook. And after about a month of resisting, I finally gave in and joined Facebook to see what these groups were like. I found a few that sounded interesting, like the 12-back Star Wars group, and attempted to join but being new to Facebook and having no pictures or information about me on my page, I was denied from becoming a member. And I certainly don't blame the admins for denying my request. I would have done the same thing if someone with no personal information and a profile pic of a Luke Skywalker figure attempted to join. During the same weekend I was denied, I was at a toy show, and through a friend met Robin Bokra, a New Jersey-based collector of vintage Star Wars and one of the faces of our hobby. Everyone knows Robin. She's part of what makes the Star Wars community really special. So the three of us talked for a while, and when she asked me if I was a member of any of the Facebook groups, I told her that I had tried to join, but, but I couldn't. She said she would talk to some of the administrators for me. And she did. The next day, I was a new member in a number of groups. And from there, the gate opened, and it opened quickly. The people whom I admired from the podcasts and the collecting sites were in the groups and were posting regularly. I began to reach out to them to introduce myself and to thank them for having a positive impact on both my knowledge about Star Wars toys and my interest in the hobby. Platforms like Facebook and Twitter, they're so ingrained in our daily lives now that we take them for granted in many ways. But think about it for a second. The ability to say hi to someone you met at a toy show who lives in another state, or the chance to talk to a prototype collector who lives in another country and share images of your collections with each other, or, or, or have questions answered in real time about the things you all love? For me, it changed my life. I was finally part of a community I had longed to know. And there are moments in our lives in which we're shining a lone flashlight in a darkened field, hoping that maybe someone will light theirs in response. But the moment that one night you turn your flashlight on and thousands of lights appear across the horizon, 
that's one you never forget. A year earlier, I was walking around at the Wayne Toy Show. I had just purchased a 31A Empire Strikes Back carded Han Hoth, which is basically the first release of the figure. A guy named Al, who was shopping at the show, stopped me and asked me a few questions about it. We walked around together looking for other carded Star Wars figures, and before we left the show, we exchanged phone numbers. And through Star Wars, Al and I became good friends. We've helped each other to better understand the toys and our collections, and we've been there for each other through life's ups and downs. And in April of 2017, the two of us drove from New Jersey to Orlando together for our first Star Wars meetup, the Star Wars Celebration Convention. And soon, many of those virtual connections turned into real-life ones. Going to an event like Star Wars Celebration in 2017 was a place to finally put faces to the names, to meet other Star Wars enthusiasts, many of whom I was building friendships with through Facebook. Star Wars Celebration changed my life. It was unlike anything I had ever attended, and the fact that Star Wars was the thing that brought us all together to one area made for an easy conversation and fast friendships. And it is the moment in my life as a collector that I can point to as the beginning of really becoming a part of the collecting family. A few months later, through the friendships I had made at Celebration, I became a member of the Empire State Collectors Club, a New York State-based collecting group run by Jason Thomas and Tom Quinn. The first meetup I went to was in upstate New York. I honestly was a little nervous about going because I was still getting to know everyone, and I hadn't seen a majority of them since Celebration. But I had an amazing time, and it's still one of my favorite days I've experienced as a collector. During the meetup, the group had arranged an auction of some collectibles in order to raise money for Ranch of Obi-Wan, and I had to leave as it was taking place. I slipped over to the host to say a quick goodbye and to thank him for a wonderful time, not wanting to disrupt the auction but he stood up and he gave me a hug. And as I walked out through the group to leave, every person shook my hand and gave me a hug on the way out. Of the whole day, that final moment stands out above the rest, and it always will. Things like simple conversations, taking the time to get to know someone, and hugs and handshakes go such a long way in making someone feel welcomed and like he or she belongs. Being on the receiving end of that moment has propelled me to to pay it back whenever I can, to make others feel they are welcomed, they are loved, and they are special. I hope every state has a club like the Empire State Collectors Club. And since then, my life has been touched every day by the kindness of friends I have met through the hobby. And what's great is that my story is basically pretty common in the Star Wars collecting community. And whether we're at a Star Wars convention or sitting in a diner having a late-night meal together, it doesn't matter. The friendships that stem from a simple love of these pieces of plastic and cardboard inspire us to come together and to make our meetups as special and as memorable as possible in unique and creative ways. So that is collecting and the community. And I hope to spotlight both aspects in conversations about the hobby with other collectors in future episodes. But I'd like to leave you with one more nugget of wisdom, and this time from our Wookiee friend Chewbacca. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time for the final Early Bird episode. So, as Chewbacca would say, when it comes to friends and collecting...